welcome to Perspective. Today we have another phenomenal woman. See what I did there? Anyways, this special guest is a former New York State government official and urban planner and candidate for Manhattan's borough president. Without further ado, here is Miss Lindsay Boylan. Yay! So glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so excited to be here and an honor to be in this conversation. Thank you so, so much for coming on. I'm going to jump right in. So my first question for you, not really a question, but starting off, you're so courageous to me, so inspired by you. Um, where would you say lies the birthplace of your courage? So, I mean, so kind of you to say that. I am... Um... I have two parents who worked really hard to give me all the opportunities that they didn't have. And yeah. I remember pretty vividly my dad always saying, regardless of you know how successful you are in the world, um, you always want your kid to be proud of you. And I think that that's the most important thing to me. And I think for me, courage is all about you know doing, um, doing whatever you know is right. Uh, whether or not it's going to benefit you. And I think that's always been something I've, I observed and I learned from even watching my dad, especially. Wow. I actually can relate to that, you know, doing things even when it's hard, even yes. when, you know, you don't know how the outcome would be. Um, I guess that kind of, you know, helps with life in general, you know, just taking risks. I think life is all about risks sometimes. Yes. And I love that. So, a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? What is your favorite color? Do you drink tea or coffee? I think that's important. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm originally from San Diego, north part of the county. Uh, my dad is Marine, and he met my mom uh, out, out west. Uh, he's originally from Queens. And awesome. so I mostly grew up in San Diego. And then when I was in middle school, my dad got a job just outside of um, the capital in Washington, D.C., and so we moved there, and that's where I picked up my love for um, government and politics because I really didn't fit in in Northern Virginia, coming from Southern California. <laughs> um, and my favorite color is orange. I love orange. <gasps> I, I like orange. One. It's my favorite. And um, I'm a coffee drinker. I drink way, way, way too much coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. You're always busy, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I love tea. I used to drink coffee when I was little, and I know that's so like backwards. You're supposed to be drinking it when you're older. But I drank coffee because my mom drank coffee, and then yes. my mom my mom stopped drinking coffee, and so I'm a very big tea fan. I developed I love a cold. Tea too. I, love I love tea. tea. I just so I drank like two things of tea: ginger and chai. My favorite. Oh, I love chai. I love chai. I love chai. Okay, so also San Diego. I really want to move to LA, like the West Coast, for yeah. college. It's one of my, I want to go to UCLA. It's one of my colleges other than NYU or, you know, a couple others. So what was it like? You know, it's, I I love the weather out West. Um, mm. It was, it's very laid back culture. I think LA is a little different than San Diego because it's more fast paced, kind of like New York. Uh, mm -hmm. San Diego is pretty laid back. Um, and you know, wherever you grow up, like since you grew up in New York, you know the smells. There are certain things yes. that just like <laughs> take off your memory of being in New York. And for me, I have the same thing in San Diego, like what the beach smells like, what eucalyptus leaves smells like, smell like. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's always nice to go back, but I, I have lived at this point since college my whole adult life in New York. So this is really the only place I know how to adult. Um, uh -huh. Yeah. You know, it's uh, very different out west, but it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. I can I can understand that. I can relate to that. I um was born in South Carolina. 
I moved to New York when I was five years old. Um, I kind of felt, I told him, I joked with my dad. My dad was a military kid, but, and he was born in Japan, but I um, kind of felt like a military kid a little bit because yeah. we moved from South Carolina to New York. That was very different. And then we moved to Long, we moved to like Long Island, New York, then moved to Brooklyn. Then we finally moved to Staten Island. So I've been living there since I was maybe six, five, something like that. So you've, and, you've moved around a lot. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I love traveling. That's my one of my favorite things to do. I love meeting new people. And that's why I love New York because so many people come to New York and then they bring, you know, where they've been with them. That's that. absolutely right. That's absolutely yeah. right. That's one of the things I love about New York. Um, and, yeah. and how you can keep me, meet people from all over the world, um, totally different backgrounds than yourself. Um, that's, that's, I think, the best of New York. Right. And so my next question is... Can you name three women who inspired you and why? Sure, sure. So uh, first I would say Ayanna Presley. Um, I love her. I love her. I just think she's so amazing uh, in so many ways. She's such a, she's a phenomenal woman. <laughs> she is, yes. uh, she's incredible. I have so much respect for her. I think she's such a strong force. I think she, mm. she leads with her vulnerability and who she is. Uh, she gets the job done and she speaks out about her personal experiences to help others. So I think the world of her as a leader in politics, she's my first yes. one. Um, I love Jane Jacobs. Uh, she's a famous, famous urban planner. If you may be familiar in New York, she's one of the reasons why I, I went into this field more broadly of government urban oh. planning. She was all about mm. how do we make, how do we make New York and how do we make cities livable for people? And, mm. um, she passed away this spring of my senior year of college and I just read her oh, book. I'm so sorry. Oh no, I didn't know her personally. I just, um, oh, okay. she inspired me and yeah. I read her book and, and it, and it, and it, made, it empowered me to think that I could go into a field where I was trying to make communities better for people. So uh-huh. Ayanna Presley, Jane Jacobs, and then, God, I have so many good right now. Um, I would say... Right now, I would say Amanda Gorman, uh, because I yes. love poetry, and even though I was a poli-sci major at Wellesley, I my favorite classes, the most deeply meaningful ones, were poetry classes, and what she yeah. has done to really um, recenter the conversation and have such poise and skill to talk about um, her lived experience, the lived experience of so many in this country. I just think she's such such an amazing woman. Um, so I think those are yes. the three I'm really inspired by right now. I'm going to definitely look into Miss Jane Jacobs. I know she passed, but I would love to like learn more about yes. her. I've met Ayanna Presley uh. a couple, maybe like two years ago, pushing two, maybe a year ago. I don't know, but it was an amazing experience. I love her so much. She was so kind and so nice. You can just tell, I, right? You can tell someone yes. that is a genuine person when you meet them. Exactly. And she was so genuine, so open, so nice. I uh, I love her so much. Yes, she said like, oh, I thought you were going to open for me. I was like, no, I came here to like volunteer and help. But <laughs> uh, it was like, you know, it meant a lot to me. And so hopefully I can meet her and see her again soon. And then Amanda Gorman. She's awesome. So I, I make music, I rap and I sing and I songwrite. And 
you know, I believe that rapping is like an extension of poetry. You know, it's poetry with music. It is. And I love music and I love poetry. I actually did, uh, when I was like five years old, I did the PAL Poetry Jam. So I've always been in Oh, I love it. Yes. And that was an amazing experience. You know, it took all the kids all over the city to, you know, write poetry. And then, you know, if you won which I did. You got to go with a couple more of like your classmates and then other kids in the city to perform I hope you're them. still doing it. Poetry, I actually did um, maybe like two weeks ago, I did uh, a poem for Councilwoman Debbie Rose's um, Women's History event. That's so, so cool. Yes, yeah, so I still write poetry. Um, it means a lot um, to me. It's a big part of my life, spe- like specifically rapping and music, but regular schmegler regular you know uh poetry is awesome and and inspiring and i love amanda gorman's um, she's amazing poems. she's amazing yes and she's such a wonderful role model for me you know she went to harvard yes i love harvard um and i love seeing you know black women doing great things and she's gonna do everything away yeah she just got on vogue <laughs> i know so awesome i know i know right. it's amazing right. Okay, so my last question, not my last question, but my last, you know, cool question is that I love music. I believe that music we listen to says a lot about who we are. You know, hence I told you I love music. So what's on your playlist? What songs get you going in the morning? Right now, it's, so my daughter is seven and we like to do dances together. Uh, So she loves, we love Lizzo. And it's like a get up and get out kind of vibe. And Taylor Swift, you know, sometimes we want to have the ballads and the serious and the heartache and heartbreak and all of that. She's such a great songwriter. So Lizzo, Lizzo, Taylor Swift, and I would say right now, um, the soundtrack to Promising Young Woman, which is a really good movie that just came out. And it's a really cool soundtrack. has one of my favorite artists, Regina Spector, who's like been around forever. Like, it would be really old to you because she's like my age, but... Stop. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. That's awesome. I love Lizzo and Taylor Swift. These are some amazing women who are so inspiring and so like awesome and body positivity and yes, yes. Feminist. I know Taylor Swift is an awesome feminist. She goes hard for girls. I love Taylor Swift so much, especially as a songwriter. And she doesn't lean out of the conversation. She talks about what happens to her and like heartbreak and all that. I think that's so important. My daughter loves my daughter's such a feminist already that Aww. she'll we'll have the radio on and she'll be like i don't want any man i, I want female vocalist mom change <laughs> channel. that is so awesome yes. i love little kids um kids are i'm saying it as if i'm not a kid but like small kids you know yeah awesome. we'll have to meet her someday she she loves meeting people she's very outgoing oh i would love to i yeah. saw her on your on social media she is so yeah. cute thank you yes thank okay you so so I saw you on speaking of Instagram and social media, I saw you at an anti-Asian racism and violence community rally. First off, thank you for taking a stand and being a voice. Yes. Uh, may I ask what drives your advocacy? Absolutely. I mean, I think you can't look away from every type of hate and racism mm-hmm. um, if you you know, if you want to be a good person and a part of the society, I think on a deep level as well, I mean, my husband's Korean American and my Mm. daughter is, um, half Korean American, half Irish mostly. And you know, this, this, 
anti-Asian racism and hate more broadly is not new. Unfortunately, um, we're seeing it come to boil to the top, so to speak, and people feel empowered to spread hate. Yeah. But, you know, we've, we've had hate and, and racism and deep systemic racism since the founding of this country. We have a lot of work to do mm-hmm. uh, to change that. And um, I think some of our leaders have made it worse in, in every possible way over the last few years. Yes. And I just refuse to leave the same world to my daughter and her generation that, you know, like my husband had growing up or, you know, any New Yorker has to deal with. It's just not right. Um, And it's personal for me, but I think the sign of knowing that you live in like a a society that's trying to get better um, is not having to have a personal connection to the problem, knowing that it's a huge issue. Right. It's just terrible. It's terrible. There's so much um, fear mongering hatred right now that has been, um, you know, incubated by some of the leaders of this country right and it sucks that it has to come from leaders people that you know we all look up to are supposed to you know look up to and it's been heartbreaking i remember when covid first broke out um we had projects for english and like we wrote i guess kind of like journal entries like every week and so then the project came down and we had to pick our journal entries and something that really stood out to me was the asian hate Yes, from the very beginning. So I wrote about that. I was very upset. I felt so bad. I signed as many, you know, petitions as I could, and it really bothered me. Especially now that I have way more um, Asian friends than I ever had before. You know, yes. going to school where I go to school, Manhattan, Governors Island. So yes. I had a personal connection to it this time around. Um, but like you said, it's important whether or not you have a personal connection to something. And it's actually kind of unfortunate that, you know, people are only driven by what affects them closely. I think it's really important to just care, you know, be empathetic. To be truly empathetic. Yeah. And it, and it, and, um, yeah, we should not have to resort to having a personal experience with racism or hatred for people to understand it. And yet, you know, some of the stories, even my husband that would tell me, that my husband would tell me about growing up, mm-hmm. you know, are deeply racist. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, don't have to live, don't have to live where it affects. It. There's so many people who are are largely unaffected directly by racism, yeah. but you can't look away because you're deeply affected by it, regardless of who you are, because it's shaping everything we do. Right. So. You're currently running for Manhattan Borough President. Was mm-hmm. this something that you always wanted to do? Is it new? Is yeah. it? Just tell me all about it. So I, you know, I, I think I always knew I wanted to go into government and policymaking you know, mm-hmm. as, as far back as I can remember. I would say when I was a little girl, maybe in San Diego, I wanted to be a marine biologist because it was all about how you, how you make something work, how you figure out the world around you. And I lived on the, the waterfront. But yes. um, as soon as I really got older and started thinking about my life, I was interested in how to make government work better for people. And um, the, the, the aspect of that that I've chosen professionally is in urban planning. And I hadn't thought about running for Manhattan Borough President, you know, my whole career. But with, with the struggle that we're going through right now for recovery and, and maybe opportunity for the first time for many people who never felt um, the ability to have a stable life in Manhattan. Right. Um, that's what this job is all about. It's all about the land use and zoning and community board decisions that we can make to 
um, respond to people's pain points and to try and uh, better the city. And I think the two biggest challenges that we have that we had before this crisis are extreme inequality and the climate crisis. Yes. And they're existential crises. If we don't deal with them, we're not going to have a you know civil society to live in in the next you know 10, 20, 30, 40 years. We have to deal with them now. And I I, I view this job, particularly in this moment of crisis, as a, a such a critical piece to that puzzle. In addition to the mayor and whoever the governor will be, and you know whoever the mayor will be next, um, to help 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 our city recover, but do it in a much more equitable way and in a resilient way as well thank you so much you're like literally a really big inspiration i'm so glad that i saw you on the news because you have two of my one of my biggest passions which is marine science and biology and I love it you know politics i love so it that kind of goes into like my next question you know i go to the harbor school on governor's island marine biology research is the core of my studies i love my school i love advocating for environmental justice i love doing the work and what would you do to support the earth's climate and our challenges as manhattan's borough president well i mean i i think and as i told you earlier i am mm-hmm. such a fan of harbor school um i hope it's something that my daughter would be able to get into and consider as she gets older because i just think it's such an amazing concept and um, place for education as an aside and yes um you know, we don't have an option to look away from climate preparedness and responsiveness. Um, right. When I when I worked for the state, I oversaw the state's recovery work in, in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria. That was all about um, the climate crisis. Uh, when, yeah. uh, when, I, when I was at state, I also oversaw the Office of Storm Recovery, which continues to administer funds to New Yorkers post-Hurricane Sandy, which is, you know, uh, almost a decade on. And... Uh, we don't have an alternative to not prepare, particularly lower Manhattan, but really uh-uh. all of coastal Manhattan and really all of our city um, for cli- the climate crisis. I am supporter wholeheartedly of the Green New Deal. Um, we need awesome. to go. We need to go further uh, than that. We we need to do interim measures like congestion pricing, which push people to public transit as opposed to, you know, um, fossil fuel, fuel burning cars. Yes. Um, we need to make our building envelopes much more efficient. Those are, I think, the biggest contributors in the city to um, the climate crisis. And and we need to, what the Harbor School does so well, as I understand mm-hmm. it, is integrate w- what we live and what, where we live and what we, how we live into yes. the importance of um, resiliency and preserving our environment. And we just don't have that right now. And we need to be doing more composting. We need to be living um, um, in floodplains in ways that are resilient, which is most of lower Manhattan. Uh, We need to spend a lot of our infrastructure money, particularly aid that we're gonna get from the federal government in ways that are resilient. And I have to fight for that. And I have to fight for getting as many funds for linear parks, for pedestrian friendly, for bike friendly paths. Um, and that's what we need. That's what we need. We need to make this a very livable city and we will make it a livable city by making it a green city, uh, by making it resilient and responsive and by making it, um, you know, the kind of place where you can, um, where you, where there's nowhere else you would want to be. And I think we lead on that front by making a climate, uh, responsive, you know, uh, city. So I'm excited about it. Thank you so much for being, you know, proactive instead of reactive when it comes to these things. Yes. Um, I want 
to like I love New York City and even if I don't live here forever I want my kids to come back here yes. grandchildren. I want New York City to be here for as long as possible you know yes. for decades centuries you know whatever way past than I'm alive you know and this is you know how we do it um, my next question is that you know people are questioning your motive and a lot of folks are asking yep. and wondering why now yeah. so can I ask why now you know absolutely you know I think um, it's never easy to speak out uh, when when you're up against a huge force right when you're up yeah. against the most powerful man in the state the most powerful man in most of the country um, but on some level, you know, I think I, I got into to doing this work in government because I really believe on righting wrongs. And when I learned that the experiences I had were not isolated and I interacted with another woman who had had very similar experiences to me and who's younger than I, I knew I had to speak up because I could not, um, I couldn't let any other woman experience what I did. I didn't want that to be passed on to my daughter's generation, you know, to your generation. And I think for far too many women, um, we've had to confront things that are just not okay in the workplace. And the only way that changes by the time you're in the workplace is if more of us say no um, and speak out about it. And, and in my view, um, you know, based on my own experience, people who abuse their power in one way don't just do it in that one way they do it across the board um Uh and that you know that's you know so people how people treat you in one realm is how they treat you in other realms and I've learned that in my um my career and I think the same is true here and I don't think it's ever easy to speak up about your lived experience um it's very hard and at the same time you know you're a poet there's something incredibly there's something incredibly freeing about that because you're being honest about your life and I think it just got to a point where um I wasn't just thinking about myself and how I you know um go forward from the experience I was thinking how do I make sure this doesn't happen to anyone else and uh, one other thing I'll say about that is this is an amazing actress um, you probably won't know who she is because she very much of not your generation, but Cicely Tyson, <laughs> Cicely Tyson just passed away. I love okay. her. I know her. I love her. And, yeah. and you know, she, she just passed away. And yeah. one of her last interviews she gave, um, someone asked her the question about um, being sexually harassed um, when she was younger. And the, the, she was like in her 80s by this time. So it had been 50 years. And she started crying in the interview. And I just thought, wow. Um, the things that happen to us affect us deeply. And yes. even if I carry it and don't share it, it's still going to be there. So I really need to find the bravery to turn this into something that can help others. Um, and that I think is the premise that I have about government in general. And, you know, I think, I think anyone who's had a lived experience like this, which so many women have, um, they would know enough to know that it is not fun to come forward on these things. <laughs> so, no, so I think they would know. And, and I think the interesting thing is you get, you know, whenever you're doing something, if you're doing something that shakes up how things work, you're going to get a lot of people supporting you and you're going to get a lot of people um, angry with you. And I've gotten yeah. both of those things. 
but it's going to be hard. It's next to impossible to have an impact on this world and to try and change it without pissing some people off. And I think, yeah, um, getting as comfortable with that as I can and, and as other women can is really important because that's the only way we're going to change things is if we keep doing things that, that puzzle and confuse some people. Ugh, yes, I've had a... The more you talk, I noticed all the things we have in common. I had a similar experience, not with sexual assault, mm-hmm. but with like um, verbal and physical um, with a kid at my school in middle school. And it was one of the worst experiences Ugh. ever. Ugh, I'm so sorry. Uh, it's okay. Well, it's not okay, but I'm, you know, I'm getting through it. I, I expressed what happened through music and on the podcast, and I didn't notice that it still affected me, yes. even being, you know, like maybe a year or two later. Yes. And I think mostly it's because they didn't do anything about it adequate, you know, yes. enough. But the thing that pushed me to talk about it, he's done it before. He did it before all the time and not to me, but he did it to me once. And I said, no, you know, I spoke with um, a lady at my school. I wish I remembered her name. I I wish she would have told me her name so I could talk about her and, you know, give her props. But it was my gym teachers and then another lady. And I went to tell my gym teachers, you know, what happened. And um, a lady in the office, she told me, you need to talk about it so it doesn't happen to other people. And, you know, I knew he's he's been like really messed up to other girls specifically some of my friends and all that you know but i wasn't gonna let him think it was okay i didn't you had to end it you had to end it on your own yeah and and you know that's a common that's a very one thing i think is so powerful about women is that's the most common reason women come forward is because they don't want something happening to the next woman and i think that's love that's like that's an amazing thing and yeah. And you don't you don't want that to happen to someone else. And no. and I also think we're at a time where and I think your generation, broadly speaking, is much better than like my parents' generation um, on issues of mental health, because I think you recognize, as I do, that um, there's nothing to be ashamed about. Mental health is just like physical health. And part of the opportunity of this moment, I think, is to say we can be vulnerable and still strong. We can talk about problems. Yes and still move forward. We can deal with grief and still be functioning, you know? And I think that that is not something that you ever even get to communicate if you're a society that pretends that mental health is not an issue. And I think your generation is way better on that front. So I do have a lot of hope in a lot of ways because, you know, you're, when you come forward, you're saying on some level that I wanna, I want to define what this has meant to me I want to, and I want to do something about it. And um, so I think that's really powerful. Yeah. And when you said that, like, when you stand up for something, you know, I was the first person to talk about it. It was like, so I guess cliche for some of the girls at my school to say, hey, this, you know, of course, when it's like a popular, you know, important person at a school or like any environment, you know, it makes a lot of people mad. And it did, you know, and it was, you know, I'm happy that I got out of that situation you know I've kind of moved on I started to talk about it you know out loud and work through trauma and and all that type of stuff and luckily you know my mom unfortunately has a lot of experience of grief and loss but she has programs and everything to combat it and to move forward and she's a smart woman you know she's a smart woman that's Mm -hmm. yeah it's uh, dealing with trauma and grief and and even multi-generational trauma 
Mm, we yeah. we are we're we are in a country that has built has been built on top of multi generational trauma for so many. So so right. like you're already leagues ahead of anyone I know. My generation. Thank yes. you. Thank you so much. I one more yeah. question. Uh, what advice would you give to people who struggle to tell their stories due to consequences, hate, retaliation, yeah. shame, all the negative um, things that come along sure. with being outspoken I would say this you know a a few things Um, I had a good friend who said you know Lindsay your life didn't change when these bad things happened to you when when the governor did these things Um, your life changed when I mean your life didn't change when you decided to come forward excuse me your life changed when um, you know these things happened to you so everything that you've done now is to build the direction for your future so you can never go wrong by speaking your truth. And I think the only way we change this world is by coming forward. I mean, um, you know, just let's look just a little bit at the the kind of things I'm talking about and, and other women came forward in this case with the governor. They're, they're insidious, um, they're cultural, they're interactions that are like kind of just under the radar um, and they escalate. Um, we're not gonna get rid of that insidious kind of harassment um, unless we're verbal about it, right? Unless we speak out about it. Um, and I don't think we want to live in the Mad Men era anymore. I don't, um, you know, aside from the cool hairstyles, maybe. But, <laughs> it's, um, you know, I'm as hard as it has been at some times, um, the, yeah. the outreach I've gotten, particularly from other women, um, is some of the most meaningful things are, are some of the most meaningful um, conversations I've had in my whole life where people say, you know, I'm not in a place right now where I can share my story, but you sharing your story um, gives me safety. And, and, yeah. and so I'm not going to suggest that everyone needs to come forward in a public manner. Uh, we all have to find our ways to communicate the things, our lived experiences. But if someone is in a a place of safety and they have the option, like I I view myself as having a tremendous amount of privilege to do this, that I could, you know, um, come forward, that I have the financial back, you know, support to do that, that I can hire an attorney, that I have a platform. A lot of women don't have that. And so I think... I think when we look within the, our surrounding universe and our surrounding world, um, if we move the ball forward in any way that we can, we will have made a really big impact for other women especially. And so my coming forward was my moving the ball forward in the ways that I can. And it doesn't mean that it has to look that way for other women, for other people. Um, I think if you focus on how can I, how can I redefine these things that have happened to me in a way that allows me to go forward and to help others and in helping others in service is when we we move forward I think yeah and something that you also did in coming forward is showing the the spectrum of how like assaults can happen people are so used to it being you know completely extreme but it happens with you know the smallest things that make us uncomfortable and we don't have to put up with it we don't have to allow it you know it's not it's not right you know and and it's not just for women it's for men you know that this things these things happen especially in a power imbalance yes i mean whenever there's a power imbalance there's an invisible line that um that is easily crossed when the person in power doesn't um, appreciate the control that they have. 
right right i just want to thank you so much for being gracious and taking my questions is there anything else you'd like to share with i would just love to meet you at some point in in the near future come to the harvard school and you know i'm just so impressed by all of the the advocacy and the work that you're doing and i'm excited to watch uh all your successes and i'm just really excited for your generation because you are leagues ahead of of mine already thank you so so much for joining me definitely come to the school and i i really hope that i can see you soon you're so Same here. kind um yes so i'll see you yes. eventually soon hopefully i know covid yes, yes and everything but yeah so thank you again for joining me i want to thank everyone for listening and i will see you guys next tuesday bye thank bye. you so much